the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart, all you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free. At 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Um, Tuesday, got nothing to talk about except getting right to questions. I have two really interesting um, anonymous questions that have come in an email in the last few minutes. And in both cases, uh, these are the kind of questions that I think we all need to be asking ourselves. Uh, the first anonymous one says, Hi, Pastor Ron, I struggle with knowing the difference between helpful introspection and allowing the enemy to condemn me constantly. God is so awesome and holy and righteous, and I am such a wretch. How do we keep our hearts in check while always remembering who we are to him? Thank you. Um, anonymous, this is a question that when when you can find the the answer to this particular struggle, it will change your life forever. Um, let me share, first of all, that conviction uh, always drives you closer to the Lord. Conviction by the Holy Spirit always drives you to Jesus. Condemnation drives you away from God. So the way to know the difference is based on which direction you're going. You know, if if the, the enemy's pounding you, you messed this up and you messed this up or you broke this promise, how could God love you? That's always the enemy. And and that's where we have to fight. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be aware of his schemes. And that's when we fight. But conviction, and I love Paula so much for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is because she said this to me, I'll bet 50 times this year alone, She'll say, I love conviction. Conviction's a really good thing. Conviction drives you in repentance to the Lord. And then we're in a place where we can receive forgiveness for whatever it is that we are convicted about. We don't have to deal with it any longer. We don't have to wrestle uh, with, with any more lies. We can simply know that if we go to Jesus, he is our advocate. He is... The, the bridge Job cried out for, if only there were a man between me and God. Job knew he couldn't go to heaven. Uh, Job knew that he, as righteous as he was, and Job apparently was the most righteous man in the world at the time, uh, Job knew that he still fell short of the glory of God. And that man, we have that man, his name is Jesus. We know more about him than Job did. So when convicted, you simply say, God, you're right. 
I'm sorry, I don't want to do those kinds of things. And when you do that, then you are forgiven, you move on in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the way to, to, to begin. Just define the difference between condemnation and conviction. Um, I think the second part of your question, God is so awesome and holy and righteous, I think that's something that we have to dwell on. Not only do we add uh, uh, awesome, holy, and righteous, but, but he is a God of love. He loves you. And it's his desire every day to be with you. And in order to do that, he had to create the avenue for us to be right with God. So we have to remember that. And that's just an opportunity to worship the Lord. God, you are so good and you are so holy and righteous. I think the third clue in your question, Anonymous, is when you included uh, in, in contrast to God being awesome, holy and righteous, you said, I'm such a wretch. There is a destructive acknowledgement of your wretchedness and a constructive acknowledge of your wretchedness. The Apostle Paul said, uh, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, if he stopped there, Anonymous, we'd have a real difficult time. But you see, his was constructive. I'm a wretch. That means I can't do anything for myself. I can't help myself. So, God, I'm calling on you to help me. And then he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Who can rescue me? It's Jesus. And because you and I have already been rescued, we simply need to run to Jesus. And our wretchedness fades away. So be honest. Be humble. Seek justice. Walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus will always remind you how good you are. Remember, when you start dwelling on your wretchedness, when you start dwelling on the mistakes that you've made, Anonymous, that's the enemy who's trying to pound you um, when we run into the presence of Jesus. All of those burdens are lifted away. Very, very good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next anonymous question that just came in. I think this came in yesterday at the end of the program. Uh, Hello, Pastor Ron. I know that one of the gifts the Lord has given me is the gift of teaching as well as the gift of discernment. I often have to find myself uh, to stay humble. I, I often have to find myself, I guess, to fight myself to stay humble. But the Lord is still faithful to humble me when I don't humble myself. And Anonymous, he will always do that. And now his question picks back up. And because of that, sometimes I struggle with understanding when I should speak up and say something or when I should stay silent. I don't want to speak out of arrogance, but I also don't want to miss out on an opportunity the Lord might be giving me to say something to possibly build up someone else. How do I have a balance with this? And he signs off respectfully. A couple of things here. This is not just for you. This is for everybody in this audience. If you're not sure, you're speaking from humility. And when I say sure, I mean 100% sure. Don't say anything at all. Don't say anything at all. If you're speaking out of arrogance or if there's even a question, then say nothing at all. I would also add the word love if you're not speaking in love. Paul says in First Corinthians 13, it doesn't matter how much you know or how powerfully you can do things. Uh, if, you're, if you're not speaking in love, you're just a noisemaker and you don't want to do that. Now, I want to be really, really direct with you on this and, and give you an opportunity to really take my answer before the Lord. I am always wary of people who say the Lord has given them the gift of discernment. Now, typically, what that means is um, God tells them stuff about other people. The Holy Spirit simply doesn't work that way. The enemy whisper in your ear all, all day. If you have the gift of teaching, God bless you. It is a wonderful gift. It's a gift that I have. But even I don't go telling people Um, stuff that I think God has told me about them. I only deal with facts. If somebody tells me they're saved, I treat them like they're saved unless I know for a fact they're not living like they're saved. Um, 
But remember, speaking for God is something that we ought to do literally shaking in our boots. It is a very heavy thing. And I just find that people who claim, whether it's intentional arrogance or not, people that claim that God speaks to them about other people, that's simply not a gift that God has given. You cannot find that gift anywhere. That is not discernment. By the way, there there's no gift of discernment. I think the gift of discernment comes from really understanding and studying your Bible. And, and discernment means what they said was of the Lord because it's consistent with the Bible or uh, what they said was inconsistent with the Bible. And um, that's the discernment. If somebody tells me, uh, I, I'll just give you a, a, an easy example because this happens all the time. Well, I know uh, I shouldn't be having sex with this man or I shouldn't be having sex with this girl, but I love them and God told me it was okay. Um I don't need the gift of discernment to tell them that's not the Lord. That's an easy one. But when you think God's telling you things about other people, and if those things are not edifying, and by by edifying I mean if they're not exhorting, if they're not encouraging, if they're not building that person up, then I'm going to tell you just as bluntly as I can that it's not of the Lord. So I really worry about people who say they have the gift of discernment when they mean that God tells me stuff about people or I just know stuff about people. Uh, I just don't believe that's the Holy Spirit at all. I believe many times that's the unholy spirit and he's creating division uh, and he's sort of um, flattering you in the sense that um, if you think God's telling you stuff, um, you don't have to really work about work on you. You have to work on uh, you're you're busy ministering to others. Jesus, of course, talked about the speck and the beam. He said, you know, you don't go speck hunting in somebody else's eye. You don't tell somebody else to correct their life if your life is not right with the Lord. And when I say your life is not right with the Lord, I mean you got to be walking with the Lord. Now nobody's perfect, but we need to want to be. And so an example, if I uh, think God's telling me something about somebody, but I'm struggling with alcohol, um, God's probably not telling me. If if my marriage is a mess, or there are issues I'm keeping secrets, or I've got some things that I know I'm not supposed to be doing, but I'm doing them anyway, God's not able to really speak to you about anybody else. So I, I just, that's as, as direct as I can be, um, anonymous, um, I, I just think we ought not to desire to speak for God. You will notice that in every false teaching church, every hyper-charismatic church, there's always people that are bouncing to speak for Jesus. And I'll never understand that. I know we like the impression of being spiritual, but real spirituality is the, the man or the woman who will come alongside somebody who's hurting, put their arms around them, and say, I'm here for you. And that's coming from a pastor who does a lot of counseling. Uh, I know a lot about people because they spill it to me. Um, but I want to speak to them from the Word and not something that God supposedly told me. And that way I know I'm on solid ground. I hope that makes sense to you. I love the, the tone of your 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 question. Um, believe me, if you're not humbling yourself, God will be faithful to humble you because he loves you. But, but um, humility, I say it all the time, humility is really attractive. If you're truly humble, people will be coming to you. Again, I hope that makes sense. With the information you gave me, that's about as deep as I can go. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love you to call. You're more interesting than I am. Here's a question from Yoli. She said, why does God make some people with severe handicaps? If he is no respecter of persons, he shouldn't do that. Um, Yoli, uh, I, I, we misunderstand sometimes. We're, we're God's creatures, but that doesn't mean he created us. God didn't create me. My mom and dad did. By that, I mean the only people that 
um, God created, the only two humans were Adam and Eve. Every other human who's ever been born on this planet is a result of the process of creation. We're God's children if we know him. We're God's creatures if we don't, if we're in rebellion against him. But God didn't make us directly, and perfection, Yoli, stopped at the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world, these kinds of things began to happen. And in the world that we live in, you see people who suffer from severe handicaps. And God's not responsible for that. This is a fallen world that's responsible for that. It just happens. Is it fair? Not to the people that it happens to, it's not. But God is fair. Insofar as the only active role he has is not preventing those handicaps. And the people who are severely handicapped, in fact, the people that are handicapped, period. Um, A day is coming when if they know Jesus Christ, if they have the capability, and by the way, if mentally they're not able, God's going to cover them. He's just, he's fair. And there's a day coming when they will spend eternity in a heavenly body, a physically resurrected, glorious body, and they will be with Jesus forever. So God didn't do it. Don't blame God for it. But God is there for everyone, regardless of what the handicap might be. So, Yoli, I hope that makes sense to you. God doesn't make people one way or another. Uh, It just happens. Here is a question from Mike. (laughs) Mike says, I'm laughing. Uh, John MacArthur said Mother Teresa is not in heaven. What do you think? Um, (laughs) I'm laughing because John MacArthur says things that um, are shocking to me. Um, I don't know if Mother Teresa is in heaven. Um, I've actually heard John MacArthur talk about uh, about Mother Teresa many, many years ago. Um, but um, I can tell you without a doubt that she is in heaven if she was a born-again Christian. I can also tell you that if she wasn't, she's not in heaven. That's real simple. Jesus said to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Now, we know that Mother Teresa was Catholic. I can tell you that Mother Teresa had horrible, horrible, horrible doctrine. I can also tell you that Mother Teresa probably had one of the biggest hearts that's ever walked the face of this earth. The problem is that nobody gets into heaven based on doing good things. Let me say it again. Nobody gets into heaven based on doing good things. So either she is in heaven because she is born again or she's not. And honestly, Mike, I don't think we need to know. Uh, I I find it shocking that John MacArthur would make a statement like that. Uh, I've heard him make statements like that about a lot of people um, in the past. That that uh, many of whom I'm I'm certain are either going to be in heaven or are in heaven. Uh, I just think we have to be careful. We do not know. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven whose doctrine was messed up. I can promise you that. God knows the heart. We don't. And uh, the evidence would suggest that Mother Teresa had a pretty good heart. Um, and yet, a good heart is not enough to get to heaven. So this is just a question that we have no answer for. We have no um, no qualifications to address a question like that. And uh, probably it would be a lot better for John MacArthur if he would moderate, be more moderate in some of the things that he said. Thanks for the question. Here is a question from Jeffrey. Pastor Ron, why couldn't Jesus' disciples cast out the demon in Luke chapter 9? This is the incident when uh, uh, Jesus, Peter, and James were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And the uh, um, disciples, the other nine, and and some Jewish leaders uh, were, were down there arguing when they came down from the mountain. Doesn't it always seem like you have a mountaintop experience, and then you come down to the world, and there's going to be arguing and all this silly nonsense going on? That's just life. Um, but Jesus' disciples were, were trying to cast out a demon without the power to do so. Now, I'm certain... Jeffrey, and this is how it works in my mind, when 
the Jewish exorcists, and, and Jewish exorcists got paid to do it. Now, it doesn't say they were effective. It just said they got paid to fight demons, sort of like uh, Catholic exorcists. But I'm sure that Jesus' disciples said, we can cast them out. We've done this before. I'm sure that's what they thought. And so they would do all the same things they did when they cast out demons before. Remember when they went away in twos, pairs, uh, Jesus gave them authority over demons. Um, uh, exuesis, the Greek word. He, he put them in a position of authority over the demons. So it was power given to them by Jesus. And uh, when when uh, they didn't have that opportunity to get power from Jesus, they, they just assumed, or maybe it's better to say, they presumed to be able to cast, oh, we've done this before, we'll do it again. And I can tell you one thing from personal experience, you never want to encounter a demon uh, armed only with presumption. You need the power of God. You need to be uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And you need to be firm in, in who you know and what you know. Uh, Jesus' disciples tried and they tried and they tried and the demons wouldn't come out. Jesus came down and said, uh, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And the idea is, is uh, this is no ordinary demon and uh, you need fresh power. And Jesus cast them out. He rebuked them in the process, but he cast the demon out and he did it just to show them that, that without my authority... Without my power, you can do nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But, but with Christ, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Jesus' disciples were trying uh, the best they could, but they were trying in the flesh. And I think that the lesson, Jeffrey, for all of us is that we need to have fresh power every time we come out of our house. Think about it. If you had the power of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't argue at home. You wouldn't leave Satan openings. If you had the power of the Holy Spirit, um, uh, you, you, you would be walking with Jesus. Um, there would be the power that comes from uh, just your obedience. Um, my point is we need the power of God in everything that we do every day. There are a lot of things that we just take for granted. We go to work and we forget to leave to take Jesus with us. We leave him at home, basically, and we're on our own. That's why we have short tempers sometimes. That's why we can't figure out answers sometimes. The idea is take Jesus with you. I say all the time, just be with Jesus. And whatever it is that you have to do, whatever you encounter, then you're going to be equipped to deal with it. Paul and I were talking this morning, and this is a common theme in our home. We, we talk about divine appointments, and we ask the Lord daily for divine appointments. Now, Jeffrey, I can tell you that if uh, Jesus had a divine appointment with me uh, or for me to cast out a demon, then I'd have the power to do it. But if I tried to do it on my own, you can see in many of these really, really bad churches. People are shouting at the devil and binding the devil and, and and ostensibly casting out demons. There's no power in that. There's no authority in that. Our power comes from Jesus. He is the only authority. And all we have to do is do what Jesus' disciples didn't do. That's gotta, we got to be sure that we're with Jesus before we're doing anything. It's got to be with his power and for his glory. So I hope, Jeffrey, that makes sense to you. Ted says, oh, Ted wants to chew me out. Um, How can you possibly disagree with medical and psychological experts on sex and gender? The overwhelming viewpoint is that gender has many forms. Ted, the only overwhelming viewpoint that gender has many forms comes from people who want it to be so. This is the most silly argument ever with absolutely no science and no logic, sex and gender go together. Biology and gender or gender identity, they can't be separated. You are either a male biologically or you're a female biologically. And the fact that you want to be the other has absolutely no bearing or connection to reality. 
And our world has gone politically insane, politically, p- political correctness insane. And people deny. Just think, just, just a few years ago, five years ago, that was not the overwhelming viewpoint of psychologists or medical experts. But we've just bombarded people with that viewpoint so much that now nobody dares to counter it. Well, I can disagree with the medical and psychological experts because I have the Bible, the Word of God. And they can be really, really smart. They can get everybody on their side to agree. But remember, God himself wrote our Bibles. So, Ted, open your heart, open your mind, be honest, Read what the Bible says and then decide who to trust. Eternity hangs in the balance. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 for your live calls and questions and we would love to have you call here is an anonymous question that really really makes me sad Every young person looks at pornography a lot. I think it's okay as long as I don't cheat on the woman I'm about to be married to. Now, I haven't had a pornography question in a long time, so I don't know where this question came from or if it's from something I said, but I want you to think about the tragedy of the words you just wrote, Anonymous. The fact that every young person looks at pornography a lot, first of all, that's not true, Um But even though principally, you're right, lots and lots and lots of young people look at pornography, it's on their phones, and they think it's nothing at all, there's nothing wrong with it, that is a really sad commentary on young people, isn't it? Now, I know a lot of older people look at pornography as well, but I want you to think for a moment about your comment is doing something that God doesn't want you to do okay because a lot of people do it. Jesus spoke about the the wide and the narrow roads. He said the narrow road um, is, is hard to find and few people find it. In other words, you can move on that narrow road easily. Uh, the wide road is like a freeway at rush hour. And it's crowded and the world seems to be going in the same direction. But they're all going to hell. Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, make it clear that people who live like this, looking at pornography uh, as a habit, something that they do on a regular basis, willfully ignoring the Word of God, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that makes this really an important thing to talk about. Again, I want to emphasize, I know a lot of young people have the same temptations that you do. But they don't look at pornography because God says not to. The difference between them and you, Anonymous, is that they love Jesus and you don't. It's that simple. If you love Jesus, he said, if you love him, you'll obey him. And you're living your life in willful rebellion against him. And the the thought that just because so many people do it, You want to make it right. You're trying to justify yourself and your sin before God. I'm telling you that people who live like you're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me me address the bigger problem. Uh, You're about to be married to a woman um, who you will not be faithful to. Um, You say, don't cheat on a woman. You're already cheating on her. You're looking at other women. You're putting your future wife in a position where she can't possibly compete with the images in your head. When she finds out, and she will, 
when she finds out, the devil will jump all over her and blame her. Well, if you were just prettier, if you're just thinner, or if you took better care of yourself, when really the problem is with you. And I wish I knew who this woman was because I would be shouting from the rooftops, rooftops, do not marry this man. There's going to be more pain than you can possibly imagine. This is a man who says he loves you, but doesn't love you, or he wouldn't be doing this. And as I said, you're already cheating on her. The amount of guilt that I deal with with women whose husbands look at pornography is overwhelming to me. As I said a moment ago, mostly they blame themselves. And I've got to tell them, this isn't about you. It's about the person who's looking at pornography. He's the one who's sinning. And by the way, women now look at pornography as well. So I would counsel her, the last thing that she should do is to marry somebody who believes that it's okay to look at pornography just because a lot of people do. This is tragic. Will not inherit the kingdom of God is a punishment that nobody can bear. And yet we're just saying, okay, I got this. I don't know how you'd ever explain to Jesus that you think this is okay to do. Pornography gets in your brain. The devil uses it. Paul, Paul writes that all sins a man commits are sins committed outside his body, but sexual sin is a sin committed against his own body. And the implication there is that we give Satan a deeper, stronger foothold to destroy us when we sin sexually. And he already has his grip on you because you think it's okay just because the people you know all look at it. So when you say, I think it's okay, it doesn't matter what you think. The only thing that matters is what God says. And you're in rebellion against what God says. So I would say to you, you need Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to repent of your sin. And if you think, if you even think you care for this woman, you need to tell her that at this point you're not even marriable because of this is what you're doing. I want to repeat this for everybody in the audience because this is so important. The amount of pain, the damage done to women emotionally and psychologically because their husbands are looking at pornography I can't overstate it. The amount of pain that they endure through no fault of their own is literally overwhelming. We're supposed to love our wives and cherish her. And we can't do that if we're fantasizing about that kind of filth. I realize that it's everywhere. I realize that access to it is easy. Um, I know all about pornography. I I lived a life that wasn't before I was saved. Um, But this is just something that you can't do to Jesus. If you're really born again, you cannot do this thing. And if you think you can, then I would suggest that you really need to be saved. So I hope you'll take that to heart. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free, you can call 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from January. I've never had the question from you before January. Um, what do you think of modern worship? Is it biblical? Um, I'm, I'm not a music guy. I'll say that up front. Um, but I think... Worship, whether it's old hymns or the most modern, newest songs that are out, I think it becomes worship when the people singing it are honoring their bodies, are offering their bodies to God as living sacrifices, and they're doing it with the right heart. Now, styles, if that's what you're asking about, are another thing. I hate the idea, January, that... Um, um, we've made worship so uh, such a show. 
you know, we'll go in and we'll have musicians running all over the stage. Um, songs will be going on and on and on and on. And, and uh, you know, they'll say, well, the Spirit is moving. No, worship to God is orderly or it's not worship. The idea that we perform, even when that performance is exceptional in quality, means nothing to God if the hearts aren't right. So I think biblical worship is that which costs. David said, I will not give that to the Lord, which costs nothing. Biblical worship is, is, um, doesn't regard what other people think. Um, I think of Mary Bethany uh, pouring out uh, literally her, her future on the hair and the feet of Jesus in the upper room, preparing his body for, for uh, burial. Um, it's sacrificial. And when it comes from a pure heart, then it's also wonderful. It's glorious. So worship is only biblical if you're worshiping in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus told the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. The method, the style, that doesn't make any difference. What matters? It's not emotion. It's not, again, quality of performance. It's what's in the heart. Now, I told you, January, I'm not much of a a, a music person. So I'm the guy that literally would never turn on uh, music. If somebody would say, what's on your playlist, Pastor Ron? I would say, huh? I mean, I, I just don't ever listen to music unless I'm in church. And there's nothing quite as beautiful for me, January, as seeing people who I've lived with. I've watched their walk with the Lord. I've seen them, who they used to be, and, and now who they are. And I know them, and I know their hearts and they know their hearts are consistent with the lyric that they're singing. And then I'll look around and I'll see people in the in the body with their hands raised and tears flowing down their faces. It's magnificent, and I absolutely cherish it. And I can promise you, it is biblical. So, if you're talking about styles, it doesn't matter the style. The thing that makes worship really worship is where are the hearts of those who are worshiping. Can you imagine being given a gift to do music and worship God publicly, can you imagine explaining to Jesus why you were not living a life consistent with the things that you sang? I do think, January, this, and this is just my, my opinion now as a pastor of church, I think too much emphasis is placed on the quality of the music. Uh, when musicians get together and they rehearse, there's a whole lot of riffing going on, and, and I, I think a whole lot about the music, about the instrument. Um, I can tell you, Calvary Chapel, um, worship begins with a devotion and prayer, and then the rehearsal comes. And I can also tell you this, that people that are standing on my stage, while they're not perfect, they mean every word, and their hearts are right with God. And that makes worship beautiful no matter the quality. Now, again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I think good quality is important. Our worship teams um, are really, really good musicians. The quality is exceptional. But if they weren't living a life consistent with what they were singing, they wouldn't be on my stage. It's that simple. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, All worship that is... Sacrificial, costing something, all worship that comes from a right heart, uh, all worship that honors the Lord, regardless of style, is um, really worship. And it is biblical. Thank you for the question. Here's an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, can a Christian be best friends with an openly gay man? Uh, I suppose you can be. But if he's really your best friend, then you need to be telling him that he's living a life that's going to lead with him ending up in hell, and you want him in heaven. And you know how to get to heaven. And I think probably that's going to put a damper on the friendship. But to be a best friend, to be confident of, confident of, or to be someone that you confide in, 
um, I think has to begin with truth. And truth is you're, you're, you're living a life that is in rebellion against God and you can't do that. You won't go to heaven. And then you got to accept the consequences of that. So, no, you can do... Um, I love some people that are openly gay. Uh, but I want them in heaven. They don't want to talk to me because I'm going to tell them that they're not going to go to heaven. So that's that's... Romans fourteen twenty three. anything not of faith is sin. Um, again, he's your best friend. How would you explain to Jesus that you didn't care enough about him going to heaven and that's why you didn't tell him the truth? You've got one man living in opposition to Christ. The other, the believer, living to please Christ. What do you have in common? Win his heart. Take a stand. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Bill says, um, "Since we have been credited with right with Christ's righteousness, when should we stop identifying as a sinner?" Um, Bill, I think I know what you're getting at here. Um, the time when we stop identifying as a sinner is when we stop sinning. Period. As long as you're sinning, we have to identify. The Apostle Paul says, I find this this dynamic at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. But Paul identified with himself or himself as a sinner through his whole life. In fact he said he was the worst of all sinners. But it provided God an opportunity to pour out his grace and his love on Paul and still use him in spite of Paul being the chief of sinners. So I think, Bill, maybe you're talking to somebody who said, well, you know, you're a saint, you're not a sinner. We are saints who sin. And as long as we're sinning, Bill, then and only then can we stop identifying as a sinner. Unfortunately, that's not going to be until we get to heaven. I think if we get to that point where we think we're, 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 we're able not to sin, I think we're putting so much pressure on ourselves that we're going to fall even deeper into sin. So I hope that answers your question, Bill. Emily says, Pastor Ron, what do you think about having women in leadership positions in the church? Um, Emily, um Leadership positions, and I'm going to identify them for you, uh, pastors, uh, elders, um, and when I say elders, I'm talking about, um, in, in the in the New Testament, elders are pastors. When you see uh, Paul telling Timothy to appoint elders, um, he tells Titus the same thing. He's talking about pastors. Um, the, the, the church was... was, was spread out in the in the ancient world. They had house churches all over. They couldn't accommodate large crowds. So they appointed pastors over the, the house churches. Um, we've done something different with the position of elder in the church uh, to, to satisfy legal requirements, and we've got to do that. Um, we make elders more more like a board of directors, and those are leadership positions in the church, and they need to be men as well. So that's the only offices that women are prohibited from, from having. Now, a woman worship leader, no problem. She is in subjection to the pastor of the church. Uh, women who are in ministry, uh, children's ministry positions of leadership, they too are under the direction of the pastor who is a male. Um, um, I, I have some of my pastors serving as heads of ministries. I'll give you an example. Pastor Matt and his wife Lauren head up the usher ministry. And um, so she, I, we, we view her as a leader, but not in a position of leadership. She, she serves under the direction of her husband, but also under my direction. So there's nothing inherently wrong about women being in leadership positions as long as they're not the ruling authorities in the church. And, and uh, Emily, this is all a result of the fall. 
Um, when, when Paul talks about this, he goes back to Genesis to establish the foundation of that. And this is just the way it is. It does not mean that women are uh, less capable or they're less spiritual or that they're more likely to sin. Um, we have uh, about 10 women in positions of ministry, uh, leadership, uh, a children's ministry, sound ministry, um, church events, marriage ministry, things like that. Uh, Manor House is headed up by a woman. Uh, Martha's Kitchen here at the church is headed up by a woman. And, and I consider them leaders of those ministries. But all of them serve under my authority. Um, even even the women's ministry. Um, you know, Paula will sometimes have ladies come and say, well, you're head of the women's ministry here. And Paul say, no, 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 stop. I'm not the head. Pastor Ron is the head of the women's ministry. So um, God is an equal opportunity provider, except for pastors and people in leadership positions, decision-making positions in leadership. And by that, I mean what we call them here, the elders of our church. So, Emily, I hope that makes sense to you. Again, it has nothing to do with men being more spiritual, men being better leaders, or men being smarter. Uh, In most cases, just the opposite is true. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. How are we doing on time? Got about six seven minutes, I think. Um, Melanie says, "What are your thoughts on divorce and remarriage for Christians?" Um, Melanie, um, let me just say generally that when divorce is permitted by God, uh, divorce God hates divorce. Um, he wants us to mean it when we say we will we will uh, we'll say married until death do us part, or I always say until Jesus comes from us. He wants us to keep our promises. Um, but in those instances, uh, abandonment, um, 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 adultery, uh, husband or wife cheating, uh, I would add um, physical danger when a woman is being physically abused by her husband. Um, those are all grounds for divorce, and wherever God permits divorce, he also permits remarriage. I want to say that again. Wherever God permits divorce, he also permits remarriage. I think where we miss the boat, Melanie, is that we divorce just because we want to. We're not happy. And then when we are alone, we get lonely, and then we find somebody else and rush right back into another relationship and get married. I think God... God's word forbids that. And so it's very important. Make sure, Paul said that if you divorce without biblical grounds, then you're to stay unmarried for the rest of your life. That's a pretty heavy consequence. Most people don't want to be alone. But whenever God permits divorce, he also permits remarriage for the victim. The offender is another question. When somebody is caught cheating or when somebody's uh, physically abusing their wife, Um, uh, I would say that that person cannot be remarried, uh, and yet people don't listen to me when they're in their flesh anyway. So, Melanie, I hope that makes sense to you. This will probably be the last question of today's program. William says, How is it possible to share the gospel with gay friends without being thought of as being judgmental and unloving? William, I think uh, all you have to do is check your heart. Make sure that Jesus doesn't think you're being judgmental or unloving. Um, if if he's the, the arbiter of this, so if 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 Jesus knows your heart, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Now, unfortunately, William, we live in a world right now where, um, you know, the, the the one Bible verse that everybody unbelievers especially know is "Judge not, lest ye be judged by God." Um. We tell them something is right or something is wrong. They say we're judging them. But we're not judging them. We're just telling them what God's Word says. And because that's what God's Word says and because we want them in heaven, the most loving thing we can do is tell them the truth. If that's where your heart is, then it doesn't matter whatsoever what they think. I think, William, we need to stop being concerned about other people's perception of our hearts or our motives. And we've got to get comfortable with the fact that God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. And we've got to be okay with that. 
Remember, they accused Jesus of many things that weren't true. Didn't stop them from making the accusation. It just meant they were lying. And somebody is going to lie about you. It's always interesting when somebody says, well, you're judging me. And I say, I'm really not. Now you're judging me. I'm telling you this because I want you in heaven. I truly want you in heaven. I've had people say to me, well, I'm okay with God. God God knows what I'm doing. He knows my heart. That's the real problem. He knows your heart. And he knows that you're in willful sin. And all I care about, all I want is for you to be in heaven forever. And because I love you, I'm going to keep telling you. And then if they tell everybody that you're harsh and you're bigoted and you're judgmental and you're unloving, well, you're going to have to live with that because you and Jesus know the truth. And remember, the truth will set you free. It doesn't mean that you won't be in the crosshairs of some people out there who who, who want to accuse you of those things. But it does mean that you're free from pretending does mean that you really do love the people. William, just don't worry about what people say. We are at the end of our show today. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Oh, month. That's right. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.